Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Recovery Talk, a podcast from the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence. I'm your host, Shannon Roberts. Each month, we will be talking with an expert in the field, discussing substance use challenges, resources to assist individuals with a substance use challenge and or their families, and best practices for the delivery of peer recovery support services. This month, we are bringing you another conversation with a few of our organizational stakeholders. In this 13th episode of the series, we talk with Stephanie Robinson of Hope Recovery Community and Patty McCarthy of Faces and Voices of Recovery. And without further ado, let's get talking. All right, folks, I'm here with Stephanie of Hope Recovery Community. Stephanie, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to take a few minutes to introduce yourself and your organization? Yeah, my name is Stephanie Robinson. I'm the founding executive director of Hope Recovery Community. I um, first and foremost am a person in long-term recovery, which for me means I haven't used drugs, alcohol, or engaged in eating disorder behaviors for over 15 years. Um, And Hope Recovery Community is a recovery community organization. We are located in Northeast Ohio. And um, we founded the organization in 2018. So really identified in our county that um, there just wasn't a lot of options for people in recovery. Recovery wasn't accessible. Um, It was really kind of a one path, really narrow (laughs) vision of recovery. And we didn't live in a recovery-friendly community. Um, it was just not a place. Um, when I came back from treatment 15 years ago, it was hard. You kind of had to get lucky. You had to be good at navigating systems. And so we identified this as an issue. Um, and for a long time, I kept waiting and saying, oh, somebody will take care of that problem. Like, they will take care of it. I've learned that they doesn't exist. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, so really, I just decided, no, like the they was me. Um, and higher power kind of said, no, stuff. I think you, you're going to kind of push that first domino. Um, and I had done a training with Michael King in the Communities Project. And he had just like when he talked about community organizing um, and like the voice of the recovery community and leadership, he just talked in a way that I'd never heard before. Um, And I realized that people in recovery, like, we can do big things. Um, And we have a lot of power. And that organizing is one of the most powerful tools on the planet. Um, And so, again, in the fall of 2018, we started to march um, with 30 people. We had a development team. We had no, we were just people in recovery. We had no experience with nonprofit. We had no idea what we were doing, which is probably for the best because we didn't realize what was ahead of us. Um, But that's kind of where we started with Hope Recovery Community. I love that story. And I think the thing I love about it is that it, it seems like a lot of people's story, like a lot of nonprofits and recovery organizations. It was like, oh, there's this need in our community and I want this for my recovery journey, but it doesn't exist. And I loved your line, the they is me. So good. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it, it, it there was some selfishness. Honestly, I have kids and um, I just wanted my kids to grow up in a place that no longer feared addiction, but embraced recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted a cool place for my friends and I to hang out. Um, I never, I felt like I just was always kind of missing true recovery community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I did all the things I was supposed to, but um, it felt really segmented on like rooms that I kind of came in and out of, not like this lifestyle that I could live. And so uh, Hope Recovery Community, that vision early on for, for me as the leader was, okay, let's create this safe place. Um, and then had no idea kind of what would happen from there. Yeah. That's, ex- I mean, as scary as it is, it's also exciting, right? Like, ooh, this could be anything. This could be as big as we want. Yeah. Yeah. And, it exploded. So (laughs) in a good way. So we started in 18. uh, We opened up our first recovery community center in 2019, about six months before COVID hit. Um, But to me, like the recovery community was so ready for COVID. Like that, we just had all the skill sets, like next right thing one day at a time. I think the rest of the world had to learn those things, but we had we were equipped with the tools. And so uh, we really navigated COVID really well. And then in 2022, we opened our second location. So another city in our county, 
because we believe recovery is happening everywhere. And sometimes there's this expectation that everybody should get to this one place. Um, so we opened second location and then we opened our third location this past year, third and fourth. Um, so our latest endeavor, which I'm actually kind of sitting in right now is, uh, we started a recovery farm. Um, and so it is like 17 acre. Yeah. 17 acre farm. Um, it was a, a historic property in our community. We partnered with our Adam board, the parks district, um, in recovery housing and, um, brought this farm back to life. Uh, the parks district donated land. We run the programming. So 12 men live in a recovery house. Uh, we started six months ago and to date we have two barn cats, 12 chickens, three beehives, two goats, a bunny, a 20,000 square foot garden and a fruit orchard. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, uh, you talk about fun and not having an idea of like where things were going to land. Um, this was kind of, we, we live in a farming community, a community that historically has farmed. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for actual farmers. But, um, and so it's always a vision we kind of had. Like, how cool would that be to mix kind of workforce development and recovery with this farming component? Um and it has been a ton of fun. It has been a ton of work because um, we have no idea what we're doing. Um, and just like early on, we made a bunch of friends in the recovery space. Mm-hmm. We've done the same thing in the farming. So now we have a bunch of farming friends. And so um, it's been, it's cool though. Like our chickens are about to lay their first egg any day now. Um, and yeah, it's just, these guys are so excited. The guys, like they spend time every day in the goat pen, just hanging out with the goats um, they're learning how to build, you know, maintenance, agriculture, gardening, farming, beekeeping. You know, it's just a bunch of skill sets that are going to really carry them into the future. So it is a really cool. We're just trying like new things, right? Yeah, to say, okay, yeah. maybe our traditional. And so um, it's like this playground, but it's uh, it's just like it's a breath of fresh air. I love it. Yeah, I'm wondering how you expect people to leave, like when they're done with the program. If the farm's so right? wonderful, yeah, I hope that's a problem. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So far, it's the results have been again. It's only been six months, uh, sure. but the recovery house is full. There's a waiting list for the program. We're building a curriculum behind the scenes. Oh, nice. Uh, if we can find the funding, yeah, if we can find the funding, we will eventually hire some of the residents of the house to actually work the farm. Um, we just got funding in the okay to turn one of the buildings into a classroom. Um, so we're really excited to be able to have that. Um, but it's just it's just like this fresh look at recovery and what recovery can look like. And mm-hmm. like it's not surrounded by pavement, which a lot of our recovery spaces just currently are. It's just the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're really excited to see long term what it's gonna look like. And the community, our community has just um, embrace this project. They've actually embraced the recovery community. You know, education and relationship building uh, have changed everything for us. We have changed the face of recovery. Uh, we still deal with stigma, but for the most part, overall, this community is like investing in recovery because we've just told them that's really an investment in your community. So it's really been cool. That's awesome. How would you, for someone who's wanting to do similar work in their community, how would you? guide them in starting to have those conversations and make those transitions in their own community? I tell everyone you have to date your community. So <laughs> I like that. Right. And that's like, that's the only way I can like frame it or phrase it or like make people understand it is be prepared to go on a ton of first dates. Um, and that's what we did. So after, um, after kind of being inspired by the Michael King training, um, and we brought Michael out here. We, you know, we, he's really been a part of our project. Um, he's really changed our culture here. Um, but, uh, date your community. So I just, I reached out to everyone and anyone who was doing anything, um, you know, and I just started to really build relationships, just started to talk about recovery. And usually it was talking to people about recovery in a different way. They hadn't mm-hmm. heard it in the way that we were framing it and talking about it and they were staring at it. Um, and I didn't look like what they envisioned, um, addiction and recovery to look like. So it just kind of breaks that down right away. Um, Mm -hmm. and so all of those relationships 
over time, right, they've just built and they've grown. And now those are a lot of our community partners. Um, They've told their friends or we're the person they call. Uh, We're also in our jails. We're at Job and Family Services. You know, we run a 24-7 hotline. Like all of those things are built because of that that dating season that we had. Um, And really... I made sure that it wasn't just about me asking. I didn't ask for anything. I wasn't interested in what they had to offer. Like I was just interested in us getting to know each other. So I wanted to offer value to them. So I needed to really, for people to understand why having recovery, a recovery community wasn't like a value to them. And so um, that's really gone the distance. So now those are the people that are sponsoring us. Those are the people that are partnering us. Those are the people that are coming in, providing programming at our center. Because I don't like to reinvent any wheel. I just like to utilize what already exists. And sure. I want everybody to win. Um, so that's been a really, it's been really, somebody was just here touring our farm like an hour ago. And they're like, man, the collaboration that is here is crazy. And I'm like, it really gives me hope that we can do this in our communities all across the country. Um our garden here, the majority of our produce will go to our local food bank. Oh, so nice. the guys here directly combating local food insecurities in Medina County. So that's just like, yeah, it's just like, it's not, it's not about, oh, this is all ours. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's about, and that we are all in this together and we help other RCOs start. So if anybody also is like looking for policies, procedures, I tell people, I'm like, this isn't mine. This isn't even Medina's. This isn't even Ohio's. Like we are all a recovery community. And I think we really need to work on that collaborating um, at all levels. I love that. And I, I think specifically about the farm, I'm I'm from a small town, very rural area. And I know for folks in rural areas, access to recovery resources is really tough. And like what a cool model, like this farming recovery residence would could mean for rural areas, right? Like it, it just, it just makes so much sense. And it would make sense in that kind of area rather than these more concrete jungles that we see. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited in this next year to try to get out beyond Ohio and share the story of the farm with Mm -hmm. that like specific vision of maybe we can just look at this a little differently. And mm-hmm. most likely these spaces already exist that can be used um, to benefit communities. And like the farmer, local farmers love it because they're like, you're keeping farming alive. And you're like, you're you're exposing farming to this whole new population that would never consider it. Like somebody, our fair started today and we're not there this year, but somebody just reached out and they're like, you guys got to be at the fair. And we're like, you yeah. know, we're going to be there next year, you know, but it's, it's this whole world. And mm-hmm. and in the farming community, there is mental health and substance use disorder related issues, just like everywhere, but they have a lot of stress. They have a lot of um trauma. Sometimes they have access to different types of medication. So we've taken I've taken some of these courses on um, I'm farm stress certified, which is a certification you can get in Ohio to for behavioral health services. That's cool. Right. Just to look at like, yeah, like those needs, but I think it really is. I think, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to look at recovery in different ways in different Mm -hmm. communities. Yeah, definitely. If you don't mind, I kind of want to jump back. What did that, from your first center opening to the second one, what did that look like? I mean, and were you even considering that when you were thinking about creating the first one? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yes, I've always had this vision. Um, I had already had created our logo in like four different colors. Um, not farm was not part of the original vision, but the kind of main cities in our county. Um, I had already kind of set this up. People always ask me that, and like, I didn't think it would happen so fast. Um, I didn't think we would expand as quickly as we have. I just didn't think it would. Go- it, it just. The recovery community was just, they they were waiting, you know, mm-hmm. they were so mm-hmm. desiring what we offered, but you don't know because you're just like, wait, this doesn't exist and now it exists. Um, but all of a sudden, um, you know, our programming schedule started to fill up. We support multiple pathways. So there was all these different kinds of meetings, you know, lots of 12 step. And we have LGBTQ meetings and men's meetings and women's meetings. And then we started to get heavy and pro-social. So we have, we have a bowling league, a cornhole league, a softball team karaoke, bingo. We're one of two sober, like Cleveland Browns backers groups, New Year's parties, anything, you know, like 
And so we just saw like, wow, this really grew, but we kept hearing people say, oh, I wish this was here, or I wish this was here, or I can't get there. And we have a little bit of transportation, but it's still limited due to funding. So I really hope that's something in the future that we can expand. Um, I just hate barriers. I am like every day, doors and barriers are made of the same material. You get the choice. Ooh. What are you going to do? What are we going to do? Right? Yeah. Who are we going to be? Helpful or harmful? And I feel like the system today is still trauma inducing. And I don't, it, seeking help shouldn't be harmful. Mm. Um, it just shouldn't. And one of the barriers was transportation or location. And so then a church reached out and said, hey, we'd be interested in having a conversation. And they had a recovery house or a house next door that became a recovery house. And so it just made sense to expand. Um, and then Wadsworth, another city, we did the same thing with the church. And they're these little satellite hubs. And eventually, I think we'd like to get to independent, like smaller independent locations. Sure. Um, but it just takes time. I mean, we're pretty new still. And I'm like, we should have built in a year of rest in our strategic plan. <laughs> um, you know, but like I always talk about RCOs. Uh, to me, RCOs are like when you um, – when you kind of like update a room in your house. That's what an RCO does. So when you make your kitchen better, all the other rooms in your house become kind of highlighted of the work they need. Um, and that's what our RCO did was it just brought a lot of the stuff to the surface, a lot of the gaps. And we're like, okay, got to fill that because that's too big. People are falling through there. We got to fill that. That's too big. And we just kind of go one at a time doing that and being that response, you know, being the response to what the community, using that participatory process, like really using the community to serve the community. Um, I mean, we've built up a recovery workforce. We have 22 people that work. We've gotten 55 peers trained um, in five years. Yeah. When I came on as a peer in Medina, there was four of us in the county. So you just like you've actually built a full workforce. It, that's crazy. You're like setting the economy of recovery. It's bizarre. Um, but but yeah, it was so the expansion was already already always kind of part of it. Um, and we're just kind of like it's small and we're tiptoeing it. Um the next thing is people keep asking us about youth services. Well, what about the youth? What about the kids? And mm. I'm like, oh gosh, I I like adults, but kids I love, but they're a different challenge because we know oh, a yeah. good recovery oriented care addresses their needs specifically. You can't just be like, oh, we'll just throw the adult programming at it and hope for the best. So um, that's on our strategic plan to look at over the next three years. Um, but we will just continue to meet the needs um, that we can meet as long as we can sustain them appropriately, continue to work to get people livable wages, um, you know, and just allow people to access recovery. Oh, that's beautiful. What else is in your strategic plan? Let me think. Well, we expansion of our current property, um, but we did just add 3,000 square feet. So uh, we outgrew our current property like day one. <laughs> so like, yeah, so we're open seven days a week, 365 days a year because cool. we really feel... Uh, yeah, because most services are like Monday through Friday, nine to five, and addiction is like, yeah, like That's I don't follow those hours. Mm -hmm. so e evenings and weekends are our like sweet spot. Holidays are our sweet spot. I don't force anybody to work, but my employees want to work. They love our Christmas. They love Thanksgiving at the center. It just has like a different vibe when you do holidays in the community, especially mm -hmm. if maybe family isn't or your home isn't the best place to be. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, and so... Our current space, like Saturdays, we do a free meal at 5.30, cornhole. Then we have a meeting at 7. Then we do a bonfire fellowship at 8. And then we have a late night meeting at 10.30. This weekend, I was at the meeting. There was like 65 people at the meeting at 7. Um, Saturday night, right? And wow. our old meetings, our biggest meeting space used to be 32. So that was not trauma-informed in any capacity. It was <laughs> trauma-induced. Um, people would be hanging out the doors. They'd be looking in the windows. Oh. Um, and so, uh, we went to our local board. They own our building and we have such a great partnership. They just believe in recovery. They believe in recovery support services. Mm -hmm. And that's fantastic. They look beyond just mm -hmm. the clinical space. They see the bookends are these community-based recovery support services and they, they just, they invest in it. And I love that. Um, and so we went to them. And so they they figured out a capital capital campaign, capital funding. Um, so we added our new meeting space holds almost 80. 
Um, and then downstairs we have, we, they blew out our basement too. So we have a pool table, a foosball table, uh, video game systems, ping pong tables. Again, so all those activities that people generally can only do in high risk environments in the community, they can come and do them safely with us. So, um, so yeah, so that expansion is kind of happening again, the youth services, um, Trying to think what else was in. Just continuing to build strong strategic partners for funders. We do private fundraising. We do a motorcycle ride in September. That's our big fundraiser. Um, so it's not a poker run because we collect recovery chips instead of poker cards. That's cool. I like that. So yeah, yeah. So they rec- they they stop at five places around this like Northeast Ohio and they collect recovery coins. It's cool. Like one guy came back last year and he's like. I, he's not in recovery. He's like, I got all 24 hour coins. I was like, that's sometimes how the journey goes. <laughs> Just keep coming back. And so they pick him out of a bag. And he's so, uh, so it's a cool way to kind of like share what's, what, what recovery can kind of look like. And we do a recovery festival. So we do that fundraiser. Um, and then we, you know, foundations and things. So we're always just looking for additional funding, you know, to be able to, to grow and expand. So that's part of our strategic plan too, to, to do that better. Um, cause that's hard to do. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. What is there anything else you would want to like Stephanie now having all of these places open would want to tell Stephanie what did you say it was 2018 so 5 years ago maybe 6 yeah, years ago? Yeah, what I would say. Yeah. 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 I would tell Stephanie of like even before that when we really started to do the work and had a lot of pushback and had some failures and things like that. I would just tell her that like failure is part of the process. Like if you're not trying like if you're not failing, you're not trying. You know, I, it's a real big thing I'm working on now is that, um, you know, you hear this failure is not an option. I'm like, failure is not just an option. Failure is a requirement. And we just, I'm just like reframing the context of that word because, th- you know, learning and growing, learning what doesn't work is equally important as what does work. Absolutely. And I think, you know, yeah. And for me as a person in recovery, I've just leaned into my program. Next right thing, one day at a time. That's how I run my life. That's how I run our organization. Um, and I think also telling her, like, <laughs> you're way more equipped than you think you are. Mm. Like, you mm. know, like, I think even now, sometimes I'm like, oh, somebody's going to figure out I don't know what I'm doing. But yeah. at the end of the day, I do know how to build relationships. I do understand recovery. And, you know, one thing Michael's taught all of us is that, like, we've got to own that success. And I've mm-hmm. done really good doing that. So I would tell her, like, you're way, you've got this, you know, you've yeah. got this. And just to dream big um, and have fun. Um, it's not always fun. It's, it's, it's hard work. Um, but every day when I pull into, like, a parking lot, into a building that the recovery community, like, has to, like, navigate it blows my mind. Like even mm-hmm. this farm, I pull into this and I'm like, like, this is a recovery farm that like I get to come to, I can touch it. You know, it's not just this concept. I flip that switch and gratitude fills my heart when those lights come on. <laughs> you know that. what I'm like? And then you show up on a Saturday and there's people playing cornhole, there's music, you know, we'll see a hundred people on a Saturday. It's like the party house without the drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And you just get this feeling it's like, wow, we're making a massive impact here. And and we've seen our overdose rates locally reduce about 30% over the last year. That's and incredible. I have to think that we're contributing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, like what we're doing is working. So yeah, that's what I, I I'll give her a big hug too. <laughs> oh man. I love all of that. Is there, I mean, we're kind of wrapping up on our time, but is there anything else you want to mention or throw out that we haven't touched base on? Um, I guess if people want to know more about what we do, we have a pretty uh, solid social media presence. We're on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter under Hope Recovery Community. Uh, we also have uh, a website, hoperecoverycommunity.org, and people can always feel free to reach out to us. Like I said, we love to share, and we're just like, if you just want to replace graphics, like please, or like you have, you want, how do you do bingo at your RCO, or how do you start a farm? we would be honored to be able to like connect and share that information. So we are really, and all the like boring, terrible, but required policies and procedures. Uh, We've got like a hundred page manual with all the things. Um, And the farm creates even so much more fun policy. (laughs) Can't even imagine. Um, but, But yeah, but we are like an open book. So anything that we can share that we can contribute to anybody else, uh, please feel free to connect with us. Awesome. Well, thank you, Stephanie, so much for your time today. 
Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for all that you guys do and creating opportunities for us to be able to share. All right, listeners, thanks for being here today. I am with Patty McCarthy, the Executive Director of Faces and Voices of Recovery, an organization I'm sure most of you are familiar with. Patty, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's great to be here, Shannon. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to start off, just take a few minutes, introduce yourself? Absolutely. Uh, Always a pleasure. I um, am... Again, my my name is Patty McCarthy. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm the chief executive officer at Faces and Voices of Recovery, and I'm also a woman in long-term recovery. So I'm very pleased to be able to talk with you all today and share a little bit about what we're doing. Awesome. Thank you. You want to jump right into things? What What is Faces and Voices up to these days? Absolutely. We are uh, very busy. We have a lot going on. Um, there's the usual uh, programs that we we offer. Uh, we also um, are in the midst of planning for Recovery Month. It's the biggest, busiest time of the year for recovery community and all of the allies that support us. But just backing up a little bit for those that might be new to Understanding Faces and Voices. We are a national advocacy and education organization. We're based in Washington, D.C., and we do a lot of work around recovery, recovery support services, peer workforce, but really what what we are is a voice for the peer recovery community or the recovery community. And in our our mind, uh, we define the recovery community as People in recovery, people seeking recovery, their family, friends, allies, and really just anybody in the in the in the world that supports um, our mission to put a face and a voice on recovery. And I wanted to mention too, we are international. We have affiliate or other chapters or um, of around the world. So faces and voices of recovery, United Kingdom. Brazil, South South Africa, Canada, and we're working with a number of other countries as well. So it's really about supporting the global recovery movement is what we do. And um, we started in 2001 from a summit in St. Paul, Minnesota. And out of that summit came the goal of establishing a campaign to put a face and a voice on recovery that campaign started for a couple few years and then eventually established a national organization. Um, so our work is pretty extensive and, and we have uh, members from around the country. That's really cool. Thanks, Patty. I had forgotten about your international reach. I just had completely spaced out. You do incredible work within the United States, but yeah, to know that you're reaching international an international audience is huge. Yeah. Um, we, the cool thing is like, it was, this is a model. It's a, it's a social movement. Mm -hmm. It's a social justice movement. It's community organizing, community mobilizing. And that model has been replicated because there, you know, for so many years, there was not a voice. People wouldn't come out and talk about their recovery. Hmm. There were no, um, you know, there was shame and stigma and we're still fighting that today. Mm -hmm. But our goal is, um, help people understand that they have a voice in advocacy. They can advocate for themselves. That's the the small A, but they can advocate with the big A, which is advocating for changing policies and changing hearts and minds and really, um, you know, making it so that more people can find recovery or their chosen pathway to wellness. I love that. How long have you been with Faces and Voices, Patty? Oh, wow. It's been eight, um, let me see, eight and a half years now. It's been quite a experience. I actually was very involved with Faces and Voices for many years before I became the CEO. Mm-hmm. But in the past eight years, um, we've seen a lot of changes in the, in our, in the recovery space. I've seen a lot of great things happening. I know that our organization started with, you know, just very small staff, a couple of people in Washington, D.C., and now I have uh, about 30 staff based all around the country. So we're everywhere from, you know, 
Pacific Northwest to uh, New England and Central uh, United States, and um, I do have uh, we do we do have an office in Washington D.C. So um, we we are been, uh, have have been really fortunate um, to know so many people and so many amazing organizations around the country and our federal partners. I have to give a big shout out to the the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy has been a very strong supporter for us over the years and has really shifted the think the conversation at the mm-hmm. White House level. This administration has prioritized recovery and recovery support services. So we're very grateful for that. Also can't can't have to make, be sure to mention SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, for the work that they're doing. And if it wasn't for um, I mean, we've seen some exciting improvements this year um, with the, I think it was last year, actually, the Office of Recovery um, within mm-hmm. SAMHSA. So that's uh, something that we've advocated for for many years, and it really takes a movement to make these things happen. There's bills in Congress. There's a bill in Congress that, uh, you know, there's legislative language that will establish that office as a permanent office in legislation. So, that's where we we really mobilize people to have a voice and show their support, get involved with uh, policy level policies on the national level. But um, in addition, there's other agencies: the Department of Labor, Labor uh, Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, just um, lots of different agencies around the country or on the federal level mm-hmm. that have have supported this. And I can't can't forget to say that all of the state agencies. Um, that are funded by through this block grant dollars as as the authorities in their own states around substance use and mental health are really critical to building the infrastructure of recovery support services. So a big shout out to them. And that's why we, um, we like to um, help build partnerships around the country so that the people, the voice of people in recovery are talking with all of those agencies and they get to help make decisions, you know, where money is focused and, and devoted to um, a balance between a full continuum of care between prevention, treatment, recovery. Um, you know, that that also includes um, harm reduction services and uh, it, it may in, include the, the uh, law enforcement and the justice system. It may include, uh, certainly includes healthcare providers and healthcare system, but all of that is what we consider a, a, a recovery-oriented system of care when they're all working together to help support individuals and families in their recovery process. Right, right. Yeah, you said it so well. I I had asked about how long you were with Faces and Voices because I was curious what, like during your tenure, tenure this far, what what that growth and what the the change in landscape has looked like from your perspective. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely have seen some great things happening. I I know that, you know, there's still, you know, always going to be some crit- criticism and, and, and things that we'd like to see happen that are not happening fast enough. Sure. But we certainly are in progress. I think that seeing some of the recent results from national surveys there are more people saying. Um, I think that the, the recent survey that said, you know, that you know, like fifty percent of the population has reported that they or a family member have know someone in recovery or know someone who's experienced a substance use disorder. I mean, it's terrible that that that, that there's so many people mm-hmm. are experiencing this, but now they're they're talking about it, right? You know, so our surveys are you know, there's different ways to interpret results. And I think the fact is that years ago, or when we first, when Faces and Voices did our first survey, it was in, it was the, um, what we call the Peter Hart survey, which was, uh, they they did a survey of the public that asked a public opinion of what do they think of when they hear the word recovery. And the response was that they, they think people are still struggling, that they, that it's a struggle, you know, and, and, and now, and so we, we use that information to say, you know, it's a, it's not always, a, it's a struggle to 
you know, find recovery, get recovery, but the joy of recovery is what we want to celebrate and what we want to put a face and a voice on so that we can show that these things work, you know, recovery support services and treatment services and prevention services, and that there is a face and a voice on recovery that we can and do recover. So, you know, the, that the National Survey on Drug Use and Health has indicated that, you know, between 8 and 10% of the population has said that they once had a problem with alcohol or drug use and no longer do. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like, do they use the term recovery? Well, maybe not, but they are saying that they have overcome a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really, I think we've seen a lot of changes. I think we've seen changes on the, certainly on the federal level. Mm-hmm. We've also seen an explosion of recovery support service providers. Mainly our, our constituency is uh, recovery community organizations. And so um, what we've, what we're doing right now is we have uh, different programs within our organization. So one is um, CAPRIS, which is the Council on Accreditation of Peer Recovery Support Services. So we accredit organizations that provide peer services. We also have a recovery data platform, which is collecting data. It's where agencies purchase this platform where they're delivering peer services. And it's an excellent tool to collect the recovery outcomes, not necessarily treatment outcomes, but Mm -hmm. outcomes based on recovery capital and how folks are doing in their, in their, their, their lives. And that is, is really helping to, um, uh, assure, Funders, contract payers that the mm-hmm. recovery support services they're paying for are delivering results. And so we've seen an incredible uptick in people using these platforms um, that have been shown to help not only drive programming, but also effective results. Mm-hmm. Um, so Faces and Voices also do um, our, so that's, the, we also have the Alliance, which is our Alliance for Recovery-Centered Organizations. And I'll tell you more about that before we close. But um, the other piece is um, that we have a a training and technical assistance center through the National Recovery Institute. So we are working a lot with state agencies or organizations or, you know, departments around the country that are saying, hey, come help us with this, you know, or, we have a lot of trainings that are what we call signature training, like our message training, which was we've trained tens of thousands of people over the past 10 years on how to use their story, how to use their messaging. Our stories have power because it helps to um, people feel empowered when they learn a little bit about, you know, the, the, um, the research about language, what works, what doesn't, what do we avoid, but also how to be succinct and tell their story and, make a difference in policymaking mm. and in their community. National Recovery Month. So uh, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about today. Um, and I guess we could jump into that if you'd like. Absolutely. Uh, wanna, well, National Recovery Month is an annual observance. It's been around for many years, and it's really about um, the – celebrating the gains in the lot, the gains made by people in recovery from both substance use and mental health. And we celebrate every September throughout the month and really engaging uh, all, all across the community from city councils to health departments, to schools and um, lots of folks in the recovery community as well. We are um, hosting a, recovery month in a way that there are materials on our website that can provide people. There's a toolkit with a sample proclamation, letters to the editor, things, how to organize a town hall or how to host a recovery month event, like a walk or a rally or um, lots of other types of uh, events that are going on. We even have major league baseball stadiums that have recovery month events. games where they uh, have a, a section in the stadium in the in where there's uh, a recovery friendly you know group um, they get recognized and it's just a great way for all kinds of agencies and, and institutions to recognize uh, the progress that folks are making in recovery as well as recognizing those that help 
us, the professionals, the treatment providers, the counselors, the agencies that really deserve that recognition for helping supporting people on their path to recovery. That's awesome, Patty. If folks wanted to get connected with faces and voices, whether it's for recovery month events or their interest in your alliance program or um, some of those data platforms that you mentioned earlier, how would you recommend they do that? Oh, certainly visit our website. It's easy to find. It's spelled out, facesandvoicesofrecovery.org. There's lots of information there, and there's also a, a contact us form. So even if you don't know where to start, just send us an email. Somebody on the team will get back to you. It's it's really a form. Um, and, you know, somebody on our uh, amazing team will uh, set up a call or send you an email and, and get you the information that you need. In recovery, that we also manage a recovery month website, so it's um, you can find that at recoverymonth.net, and that is where there's a calendar of events. So you can post your event for recovery month, and we'll make sure we get to a chance to highlight it on our social media channels. But there's also uh, ways to post post your event, download the toolkit. So that's recoverymonth.net. Um, you can also, we also are sponsoring um, International Recovery Day. So that's exciting as well. And if you Google International Recovery Day, you'll see that that happens on September 30th every year. But that's a way to engage the whole people, the global recovery community. There, there's, this has been going on for a number of years, but really it's a way we do ask for folks help to have monuments or, rec- or buildings lit up in purple on September 30th. So if you visit that website, the International Recovery Day, you'll find the information on how to do that. You can send a letter to a a place where you can ask them to light up the the fountains of Kansas City with purple, right? That would be cool. Um, So there are places around the country that are doing that. Um, I did want to mention, so there's also on International Recovery Day is the first annual day of service. And so that is a way for the recovery community to volunteer and give back. And so there's more information about that. We are one of the partners with Mobilized Recovery that has, com- you know, committed to helping to get to volunteer. Our organization and our staff are all excited to go out into their own communities and volunteer on that day. So we're very excited about that. I also wanted to mention that we are hosting the Recovery Month Luncheon. It's a kickoff of Recovery Month. It's in Washington, D.C., on September 7th at noon in Wash- in Union Station uh, from 12 to 2. And we will have both um, the Director of the Office of National Drug Control Policy and the Assistant Secretary of SAMHSA speaking at that event, as well as a number of other guest speakers. And immediately following that luncheon is a walk through Washington, D.C. So we're super excited about that. We just were partnering with SAMHSA to do that. And it'll be a sh- not a very long walk, and we don't we don't think this is like the um, millions m- million march on Washington, right? But it is yeah. going to be a symbol symbolic event after our luncheon on September seventh. So that's what's happening really in, with Recovery Month. In addition, we are host co- we are uh, speaking on a CMSA webinar on September twenty seventh regarding financing peer services. So we mm-hmm. have some research we've done, recent released a, uh, a paper on that. So that will be held on September 27th. So, oh, and I can't forget, I'm sorry, I have to acknowledge one more. Our no, National Rally for Recovery Hub. <laughs> yeah, the, the National Rally, which there are rallies that happen all over the country. And usually we try to get people to do it all on the third Saturday in September. We hope that they will, but we will be located in one uh, region of the country, one city where we will be um, supporting a local rally, and that is sponsored by OCARTA, a, a recovery community organization in Oklahoma City. And so the um, we will have SAMHSA and, the, and ONDCP and myself, I'll be speaking there, but we really encourage people to come to that or, you know, let us know what's happening at your own rallies and recovery month events because we'd love to see your photos and see your write-ups and we can get that out and promote it through our social media. Well, it sounds like you're not busy at all, Patty. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on. Um, and uh, it's totally uh, enjoyable work. And yeah, I've just met so many amazing people along the way that are doing fabulous work as well. I think that there we do, like I said, we have a lot going on. These are things that have been existing for many, many years. And um, I, however, we, we do have uh, a recent announcement I want to make sure I share with the audience. Yeah. We have now launched what we call an alliance. Uh, so the alliance is now a re- alliance for recovery centered organizations. And if and if you're wondering what recovery centered means, it really means just focused on recovery. Um, the alliance is actually um, intended to be a very diverse group of agencies or organizations that come together with the sole uh, experience or goal of building a stronger advocacy movement for the recovery community, expanding recovery support services everywhere and protecting the rights of individuals in recovery. And we do focus on justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, and we support the peer workforce. All of that is based on national standards. And that's what this new alliance is, is for organizations that are, you know, historically we've had what we call ARCO, which you uh, is was called the Association of Recovery Community Organizations. What we realized that that there was m- many groups that want to get involved and have you know applied to join ARCO, but don't necessarily fit the the definition of an RCO. So we're broadening this alliance, and in addition to that, we have also launched a certification for RCOs, recovery community organizations. So we're, we're, we have it so that many of the um, organizations that are working with their agency, state agencies or, or payers, they are asking now for certification of these RCOs. And so we've responded to that need and the interest of our, our members by um, establishing this certification for recovery community organizations. It's going to be a little bit of a shift because the alliance itself is bigger, but mm-hmm. we don't want to lose the integrity of what an RCO does. Mm-hmm. And so that uh, certification process really digs into kind of, you know, what is this organization doing the things that meet the national standards for an RCO? And it's not a, a real rigorous process. When I think of rigorous, I think of, you know, the CAPRS accreditation process. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit more work and time that's dedicated, but the application for being a a certified RCO is not meant to be a burden. And uh, we should be able to answer any questions that the audience has um, by contacting us on our website, meeting with our staff. And, um, you know, we'll hope to grow this movement even more with this bigger tent. Yeah, I was going to ask, and forgive me if I missed this in the beginning, will the uh, will ARCO dissipate or will these both exist in, in tandem? Yeah, ARCO, we're just, we're, we're keeping the acronym, mm-hmm. um, but we're changing the name. So we just recently changed the name in our bylaws with our board. So now ARCO itself, the network of RCOs is still going to be the network of RCOs. Okay. But they're going to be all part of the alliance. And so we still provide a monthly meeting for all the members. We still provide um, an annual summit, a conference in Washington, D.C. But this time, this year, or next year, it'll be in Denver, June 4th and 5th. But that's those those are the benefits of joining ARCO. Um, we're kind of making this shift from using ARCO to the alliance because it's now a, a larger alliance. But yes, ARCO will still exist as a network of RCOs, it will just be in addition to the RCOs, it would be other types of organizations. So let me give you some examples. There are yeah. recovery cafes, there are recovery high schools, collegiate recovery programs, recovery residences. There are also, you know, faith-based groups, family-led groups that are all focused on recovery and are advocating or are providing recovery support services. There are Groups that we don't even think of, like 
um, a group of the culinary institute field, you know, or the, you know, they're, they're like in, in regions, I know there, there are some that exist. They're all people in recovery. They're trying to help each other. They're doing recovery support services, peer support. There's also artists and musicians Mm -hmm. and there are outdoor physical related groups um, that are like, say a running group of people in recovery, but they established an organization because they wanted to get funding and support. So they are all considered part of this larger recovery alliance now. Very cool. I love that. Well, I want to be mindful of our time. Is there anything else that you'd like to plug or share with the folks? No, I think I think the main thing is you, you know, our, our listeners are all what we consider part of the recovery community. We're part of the recovery advocacy movement. So get involved, sign up for our newsletters. You may be somebody who likes to just read the information and know that there's an organization out there that's advocating for you and your family. Or you may be somebody who wants to get involved and volunteer and find a place to devote your time or find other people, like-minded people. Or maybe you want to start an organization or host a training. Um, All of those things are, uh, you know, available. And we hope that we hear from you soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Patty, and taking the time to showcase all that Faces and Voices is, is doing for the recovery field. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to talk with you all and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for connecting with us, listeners. Our goal in sharing stories and information is to provide hope and resources to the field of peer recovery. Please join us again next month on Recovery Talk. You can find our episodes on our website, peerrecoverynow.org. That's peerrecoverynow.org or wherever you find your podcasts. The Peer Recovery Center of Excellence is funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration to enhance peer recovery support services by expanding access to training and technical assistance services across the country. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official policies of the Department of Health and Human Services, nor does mention of trade names, commercial practices, or organizations imply endorsement by the U.S. government. Talk with you next time.